0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and have a seat. Grab your Kleenex. Sarah, thank you. Thank you. What, a, what an amazing gift. I've been secretly prodding Sarah to share some of her story with us, because I know what an encouragement, does that have the ring of divine authority to it there? (laughs) Nice. I know what an encouragement that is to all of us. Um, This journey through life, for those of you who are brand new, church isn't just the thing that we meet to do something religious and hopefully we'll feel better when we leave. Church at New Life is always an encounter with God because when we understand life correctly, we understand that life is a journey with God, not an intrusive God, but a God who chooses to to relate to us as our Father. And on more than one occasion today, I'm going to tell you this phrase, we understand life best when we view it through the paradigm of a parent-child relationship. I want you to get that. If you have a question in your life, one of the best ways to start sorting out the answer is to look at God as your parent and you as his child and then start asking questions out of that paradigm. And I'll show you how that works in our lives as we work our way through the morning. but that's why life is a journey with God on this earth, and uh, so for those of you who are brand new, I want to invite you into that journey. I'll give you an opportunity uh, a little bit later on in our service to officially begin that journey with God. For those of us that have already began that journey, I just want to remind us of that and uh, as you come to new life every Sunday, you know what that's about so uh, hey, welcome, everybody. Uh, let me get all of us on the same uh, sort of uh, sheet of music, if, uh, so to speak. So if you get out your Start Here card, your Connection card, um, for those of you who are brand new, um, this is a card we use every single Sunday for every single one of us. It gives everyone who comes to our church the opportunity to connect directly with our staff, our pastoral staff, so that we can effectively pastor you. And so if you put your name and your email address on there, at least whatever you check on the backside, we'll have the opportunity to follow up with you and provide whatever it is that you would like. At the very end of our service, we'll be collecting those. So uh, you can put your name and email address on that. And then the other thing I'd like to welcome you to do is to pull out this set of teaching notes, and we will walk you through... um, Uh, that this morning as I teach you from God's Word. At New Life, every Sunday is a learning experience. So for the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to be teaching on a topic that I know is of paramount importance, and it really applies to everyone in this room. And we're in the middle of a series of sermons, actually Kevin started it, Uh, Pastor Kevin did last Sunday, called God Never Said That. I find it so ironic that you would come to church to learn about something God never said. (laughs) Anybody else find that ironic? Yeah. So here you are saying, teach me about something God didn't say. Well, the interesting thing is the things that we might assume that God said are actually many times fairly close to what God actually did say. The only difference is they're just slightly twisted which means that they're not actually true because they're not actually true. Although we think they're true, we build our expectations of God and of life around this thing that we think is true, but it's not actually true. And we set ourselves up to be disappointed in life and even worse, disillusioned with God. Now, no one wants to go through life disappointed in life and disillusioned with God. I want you to know this, that what God did say is always better than what God never said. You got that? What God actually said is actually better than the twisted version that we get that's close. And so this morning, we're going to dig into the nature and the concept of God's will, because one of the things that is very clear in scripture is that what you do with your life and what you become in this life is of paramount importance to God. He actually cares. And in the Bible, that's called his will. So we're gonna dig into that a little bit this morning. And and the thing that we're gonna look into is the thing that God didn't actually say. And that is that he has a blueprint for your life. And I run into Christian people all the time who sort of have this notion that before they were ever born, God had a blueprint for their life. And it was this path that he had laid out for them. And on that path was exactly all the details of how their life was supposed to unfold and that their job in this life is sort of to unpack that mystery. And so they sort of get on their knees every day and say, okay, God, what is this day supposed to be? And, and they believe there's only one occupation they could ever do that would be pleasing to God because it's the one occupation he has picked out for them. That there's only one soulmate in this life? I'm sorry for all you romantics who, who, who are sure that, okay? <laughs> yes. Now listen, I think it's wonderful when you know that God brought you and your spouse together. I believe that God brought Monica and me together. I've never, never met a woman I wanted to be married to more than I want to be married to Monica, Okay? But I also know that there are 7 billion people on the face of the planet. And I'm not quite so egocentric enough to think that God would look down and say, Ron, I've got one out of 7 billion for you. Okay? Yeah, this notion that God has a blueprint for our life. What God actually says in his word is he has a plan for your life. He has a general plan for your life. And some of the general concepts that are in that plan is he was going to have you born into a family. He was going to have you grow up. He knows that you need a savior, so he provided a savior for you. He knows that you're going to sin, so he's provided grace for you. He knows you need a purpose in life, and so he's given you not, ju- not just one, but actually two purposes in this life, generally speaking. He has this wonderful plan for your life, but inside this plan, there's lots of rooms, lots of room for options, and we're going to talk about that today. Um. If you go to the Cheesecake Factory, you open up the menu, one of the things that you're going to find is you have more than 250 options of things that you can order off that menu. None of them may be good for you, but you have 250 different ways to take a step toward death. How's that? <laughs> It's an interesting study to watch people at the Cheesecake Factory who have never been there before, because you know something, decision-making is, is a point of great anxiety for many of us, and all you have to do to throw us into anxiety is give us 250 options. <laughs> yeah. Now, the interesting thing about this is when we have to make a choice, some of us really struggle because, well, we don't want to make A wrong choice. So we struggle to make a choice at all because we don't want to make a wrong choice. Some of us struggle, not because we don't want to make a wrong choice, because you might actually like almost everything that's on the menu there at the Cheesecake Factory, but you're under the false notion that there's one item there that would be the most satisfying for you tonight. And your job is to figure out the one item out of all 250 that is the most attuned to your appetite tonight. Because you, my friend, want to make the perfect choice. I sat with somebody this week and I said to them, I know you've heard this statement, that good is oftentimes the enemy of great. Because we will settle for something that's good when we could have something that's great. Everybody here has heard that, right? I want to introduce you to a new principle. Are you ready? Perfect is sometimes the enemy of great. Because in our zeal or fear of not making the perfect choice, we often forego what is great. Everybody on board with that? That's why it produces anxiety. Now listen, we make our decisions and then our decisions give shape to our lives. That's why we realize how important decision-making is. Now, when you decide to become a Christian, you think that should give you peace. And for some of us, it doesn't give us any peace at all because now we're not only afraid of making the wrong choice and we're not only afraid of not making the perfect choice, now we're afraid of making a choice that God doesn't approve of. So we just have another whole filter to take things through. To begin with, I want to teach us a biblical principle, and and then we're going to go and see it in operation in God's Word. Did you know that way more often than we are encouraged to seek direction from God, we are actually encouraged to seek wisdom from God? That means that more often than not, God doesn't want me just to show up and go, what do you want me to do? I'm here. We're going to delve into that. What God wants is for me to become a wise person who learns how to be perceptive in this life and to grow and develop. And let me show you how this works in Scripture. The Lord grants wisdom. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. I want you to go back and underline a few words. Wisdom. Common sense. Understand. wise choices, and understanding. I think it's amazing through, and and by the way, you'll see that's five verses, and I've excerpted those phrases out of five verses because that's a long passage. You can go back and read the whole thing in your Bible. More often than not, we are encouraged to seek wisdom from God, not just straight-up direction. Let's go to the second uh, passage of Scripture. Paul writes and says, Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as what? Wise. Wise. Making the most of every opportunity. And then he says, don't be foolish. That's the opposite of wise. But understand what the will of the Lord is. I want you to see that in this passage, Paul clearly indicates that the key to understanding God's will is wisdom, not just directions from God. And and I know that for some of us, that can be confusing. And we're going to talk about a maturity thing because when you are a small child, it's very difficult for you to understand what the will of your parents is. So you know what they do? They just give you straight up commands. And for those of us that are new in our faith, we probably need to receive more commands from God. But as we grow and mature in our walk with God, all of that continual direction and do this and do that, don't do this and don't do that, all of that stuff, much of it is replaced by this growing heart of wisdom that God is growing in us. Now, what's sad is when we think that God wants us to stay a small child all of our life. Remember a while ago I said, we understand life best when we view it through the lens or the paradigm of a parent-child relationship? Now, when we understand the nature of God's will, which is the next thing that we're going to go into, I'll lay that out for us a little more clearly. There are three principles that I think would be really important for us to get here. And the first one is this. The majority of God's general plan or will for my life is already revealed for me in the Bible. The fact that God's will for me is that I would be a follower of Christ, that's already in the Bible. The morality that God would have me live by, that's already in the Bible. The honesty, the integrity, the ethics and all those sorts of things, that's already laid out for me in the Bible. Uh, how God wants my family to operate, that's already laid out for me in the Bible. There's so much of God's general plan for my life that's not left up to by guess or by golly, it's just spelled out, which is why one of the greatest and best things that you could do is get yourself familiar with the Bible, why you come to church, why you go to life groups, it's important because the more you know of God's word, the more you understand how life is supposed to work because you're you're familiarizing yourself with the general plan. I sat in front of a TV this week trying to figure out how to make it work, and I was punching buttons, and I was punching buttons, and I was punching buttons, and it wouldn't go forward, and it wouldn't go back, and hit the power button, shut off, thought, I'll try this thing again, I... You know, eventually I just went and got the owner's manual. And in about two minutes, I had it figured out. You ever get tired of just punching buttons in life? Yeah. The Bible is God's owner's manual for you. It's a great thing for you to know. So that's the first thing you need to know about the nature of God's will. The second thing you need to know is that God is into building people, not just controlling or directing them. This, my friends, is huge. Our default picture of God, almost without exception, is that God sits in heaven and directs the affairs of things on this earth. And to be sure, God does direct many of the affairs of things on this earth in the same way that your parents direct the affairs of your family. But can you, for the life of you, imagine a parent that what you wanted from your children every day was for them to show up at your bedside and go, what do you want? All I want to do is your will today. Now, I agree, there are days I would love that, right? (laughs) We would all love that. But you know the truth? If your kid was 16 or 17 and they just showed up every day, okay, mommy and daddy, what do you want? I just want to do whatever you want. You know what you would be saying to your child? You need to learn how to have a life of your own. Right? And I think we do God such a disservice and ourselves such a disservice when we, in our minds as Christians, we think our job is to show up every day and say to God, What do you want me to do today? All I want to do is what you want. He's our father. He wants us to live as children, not servants. Got it? Yeah. I'm glad somebody got that. Okay? Here's the third. I know some of you are chewing on that. That's hard to chew on, isn't it? Because we've been taught so much the opposite. Let's go to number three. God knows this. It's only by going through the decision-making process that I can become a person of great wisdom, of great character, of great grace, and great strength. And by the way, do all those look good? But you realize if you show up at your parents' bed every morning And you say, What do you want me to do? I just want to do your will. And your parents direct you, you will never learn how to make a decision. You will never get wiser. While you may be obedient, you will never become wise. And what's higher on God's list, obedience or wisdom? I would challenge you it's wisdom. Yes, He wants you to be obedient, but even more, He wants you to be wise. And so many of the decisions that you and I are going to make in life because God loves us and because he's our father and he wants to build us and develop us, it's why he tells us over and over again, seek wisdom from me, not just direction, seek wisdom from me because get this, the will of God is far more tied up in the person you become than in what you do what occupation you choose. What what specific thing you do in this day. Now I want to pull over to the side of the road for a minute because there are some notable exceptions, okay? If God has a specific thing for you to do, here's my supposition to you. You will not be left in doubt. The Bible tells the story of Moses who was tending sheep and he saw a bush on fire and it, and it didn't consume the bush and he went over and God said, take off your shoes. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. And he said to Moses, I have a job for you to do. You're to go back to, to Egypt and you're to lead my people out of slavery. I would submit to you that Moses didn't walk away scratching his head going, wonder what God really wants. <laughs> if God has something for you to do, he will make it known to you in no uncertain terms. Sometimes it's a life thing. Sometimes it's only a person that he wants you to talk to or to call or to encourage. And the more you walk with God, the more certain you will become of those God directives that take place in your life. But I want you to know that the vast majority of your life, God's going to give you parameters with a whole bunch of options in the middle, and he doesn't want you frozen at the switch. He wants you to feel empowered to make decisions and learn and grow and develop in the process because he knows that it's only by going through that decision-making process that you and I can ever become wise, filled with character, exercising grace toward ourselves and toward others, and in the end, become people of great strength. Are you on board with that? So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I would. I, I want to say to you this morning that there are three signs that you need to have on in your life. Okay? You ever wonder if a place is open and so you pull in the parking lot and you're hoping you will be able to read the tiny little micro print on the front door, right? And when you pull in, you see a neon sign that says open, right? That's welcoming, right? You go... That's awesome. I, I have three, I didn't actually order neon signs, but I have three signs that I think you and I should have on and lit every day of our lives. Okay? And the first one is this. We need to have our adventure sign on, lit, and, 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 and flashing if it could flash. In fact, I want to take you back to the very first chapter of the Bible, and I want you to realize that one of God's primary designs for you and me is that we would live a life of adventure, which is the opposite of just showing up every day saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll go do it. God wants you to adventure in life. Notice this. The Bible says God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So that includes everybody in this room, correct? We've all been created in the image of God. Then God, I want you to underline this word, blessed them. What did God bless them with? Here it is. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it. By the way... The filling the earth is not directly tied to the multiplying. (laughs) Some of you got that, all (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah, that sort of happens when you multiply. But this idea of fill the earth, I, I, I want you to dream with me for just a minute. And here's God, and here's Adam, and here's Eve. And there's only two people on the face of the earth. And God has created the heavens and the earth, And everything in it. And when God says this to Adam and Eve, do you realize that there wasn't a single thing on the face of the earth that was made by a human being? The only thing on the earth, the only things on the earth were things made by God. And God is saying to Adam and Eve, by the way, filling the earth and governing it, if you look back into the original language, it means God is saying to them, find out how the world works, discover, be curious, try things, learn how it works, and then govern it as you learn how it works, manage it correctly. And the Phil idea is if you went to an art class and you were going to take art and you walked into the room and there were 10 students and there were 10 canvases And the art instructor says, What I want you to do this morning is walk up to one of those canvases and fit it. The art instructor would expect you to be creative, adventuresome, use your imagination, and to put on there the best thing that you could put on there. In essence, That's exactly what God said to Adam and Eve. I have made for you a blank earth. It's completely undeveloped. There's not a road on it. There's not a path on it. There's not a house on it. There's there's not a car on it. There's nothing on it except the stuff that I've made. Now go fill it with human stuff. Figure out how it works. Adam and Eve never sung before. Figure out how to sing. Never played a musical instrument before. Figure out how to build a musical instrument. Never built anything before. Figure out how to build something. God said, I want you to fill the earth and govern it. Now, listen, that is still God's basic design for you that you would live this life of adventure, that you would be exploring, you would be discovering, you would be building, and you would be creating because that is God's basic purpose for all human beings. Are you on board with that? Yeah. So whatever you choose to do in your occupation, do something that enables you to, to explore and discover and create and build in some way. Always live with your adventure sign on, because when this sign goes out, you start to die. Everybody on board with that? Yeah, live with your adventure sign on. The second sign that you need to have on is this. You need to have your open sign on. You know why? Because you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Every time you adventure, you do. So you need to live with your open sign on. Remember, what is it that God wants us to seek? Wisdom. And there are three groups of people that will really help you with this wisdom sign. And and by the way, going to the Bible is the first place. Always the first place. Three other groups of people. You need to consult those who are wise. Every single person here has a circle of wisdom that you're surrounded with you need to consult the people in your circle of wisdom. Also, if you're going to make a decision, it would be a good idea to consult the people who would be directly affected by that. They might increase your wisdom. I talked with a guy one time who, who came to me and said, I need some marriage counseling. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? He said, you know, I sold our house, went home, told my wife I sold our house and she was mad. I'm thinking, friend, you need more than marriage counseling. <laughs> you might need a brain or something. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Learn to consult the people who will be directly affected. There's a third group of people that would be very helpful for you, and that is that you and God would sit down and make the decision together. You know, don't treat this like a democracy. I'm going to consult my school of wisdom. I'm going to consult the people who will be directly affected. I'm going to have them all cast a vote. And whichever, whatever option wins, that's the option I'm going to do. Because in effect, you did not make that decision. You got it? And in effect, you became no wiser, no stronger, no better equipped in life. All you did was was make that decision by committee and you let everybody else take responsibility for that. One of the greatest things you can learn to do in life is collect input from all these places. Then go sit with God and make your decision with God and then stand up like a woman or a man and walk out that decision. That's what God wants you to do. Some of those decisions will be good. You'll become wiser. Some of those decisions will catastrophically fail. You will become wiser. Got it? Yeah, because God's into building people. The third sign that would be good for you to have um, and to be living with and to have it on is the sign of grace. You're going to need grace toward yourself. The Bible says grow in the grace. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and, and our, in Jesus our Lord. Know that, know that you're growing in grace as you're growing in knowledge. Another word for wisdom, a synonym for wisdom. Why are you going to need grace? Because you're going to make lots of mistakes, and so are the people around you. I'd have thought, did you know that Adam and Eve lived in a context of grace before they ever sinned? I'd never thought of that. They did. Adam and Eve were not God in human flesh before they sinned. They tried lots of things in the garden that did not work. That was part of discovering and learning. I don't know what happened. I don't know if Adam decided to prune a branch or something, or, or you know, that, that tree's too tall, hack the thing off and it dies. Or I, I don't know how all that worked, but I do know they made mistakes. But you know something? It didn't make any difference because they lived in a context of grace. They were not perfect human beings with the same knowledge as God. They were human beings. And I don't know if this will come as a shock to you, but my good friend Gordon opened my eyes to something I'd never thought about. When you and I get to heaven, I know, I don't want to take the polish off that thing that a lot of you have been hoping for. And that is when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to sing like Sarah instead of like you. Okay? I, 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 I hate to pour cold water on that dream, but you know, here's the deal. If we all get to heaven and we all sing perfectly and we all draw perfect pictures and everything we do never fails and everything we do always succeeds, we will be bored out of our gourd <laughs> because we'll all be exactly alike. You know something? I think you and I will be learning in heaven. It's part of being a human being. We get a brand new heavens and a new earth, a brand new blank canvas. It's going to be so fun. And we get to learn and discover and build and imagine and do all that stuff in the context of grace because failure doesn't make any difference. It's just a learning experience. That's why it's important to learn how to do that now. So the three signs are adventure, open, and grace. And when we do that, we will enter. We will be able to experience the great life that God has for us. As we bring it to a close, there are three three options. And the first one is this. This week, I will work on, probably intuitively, you know which of these signs needs help in your life, Right? Pick one, okay? Don't go, oh no, I might make the wrong choice. <laughs> you can't make a wrong choice. They're all good, all right? So, so pick one and go to work on it this week. Secondly, if you want to dig deeper, John Orkberg, who wrote the book, If You Want to Walk on the Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat, great book, has written a wonderful book called All the Places to Go, How Will You Know? And he takes a lot of the principles that I've talked about here this morning and develops them even fuller and into greater extent. So, if you want to dig deeper, very challenging, very inspiring, very encouraging book. So, uh, you can do that. And then, thirdly, for those of you, I said a while ago, if you want to start your walk with God, I was going to give you the opportunity to do that. And this is the time that you do that. So, if you're not a Christian, doesn't mean you don't believe in God, but if you've, ever, if you've never had a formal time where you said, today I choose to follow Christ, today I choose to ask God to forgive my sins, and from this day on I will follow Christ and be a Christian, then that doesn't happen just by coming to church. It happens by making an intentional and conscious choice. And I'm giving you that opportunity to do that right now. And if you're ready to do that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer so that you can actually vocalize that choice to God, because he'd love to hear you talk to him about this. If you're ready to make that choice, then here's the prayer, and let's all bow our heads. Here's the prayer that you pray. Lord Jesus, today I choose to follow you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and I officially begin my journey in this life with you. Thank you for being my Savior. I pray in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.